0: I was listening to that song, that last song we sang. And and, uh, I think, Jasmine, you put it well as making that a declaration over our lives. But I was listening to the last words of that song. And I know I've heard that song, I want to say 100 times, but that's not true. I've I've heard it a lot. Um, And the last line says, I count the joy for every battle, because I know that's where you'll be. Have you thought about that for a moment? It struck me in this moment that it, what it's trying to tell us is to remind ourselves that in every battle, I will find joy because Christ will be with me. I don't know about you, but there's, there's, there's been some battles I haven't had joy about <laughs> so late, but count the joy for every battle because I know that's where you'll be. Why don't you just take that on to yourself a little bit today. Hey, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited to share, again, last week we were um, in this series and we continue in this series on Hello, My Name is Jesus. Sorry, you're going to have to deal with a hoarse voice. I was singing a little bit too much. Um, Well, I don't know if I was singing too much, but I was singing, and maybe I'm out of practice. I don't know what it is. But we're in this series, um, Hello, My Name is Jesus. And last week, I wanted to talk about the idea of Is Jesus God? And we looked, at, um, we looked at some of the references in scripture. We looked at some references to the authenticity or her historicity of the Bible. And, uh, and we looked at the, the repercussions of that. And uh, we heard from C.S. Lewis a brief bit as well. Today, I want to give you the title of my message first um, so you can take notes or, or do as you do with it. You know, I guess... Um, note-taking in the online church world probably doesn't exist, but Instagram taking probably does. So whatever it is that you're doing, you can title this. I've titled this simple, really, really a simple title, and I've titled it Jesus Died. That's it. Oh, well, they've they've got he died, so maybe I changed the name before I sent it to them. I'm not sure. We we'll call it he died or Jesus died. Either of them is fine. I promise you, if you ever notice a mistake in a service when I'm preaching, it is not the media's fault. It's entirely my fault. Just <laughs> they can't they can't defend themselves because they don't have a mic right now. But let me defend them. It is always my fault, never their fault. Anyway, so um, Jesus died or he died, uh, as it's also been titled. And I want to read this um, this this uh, uh, this quote for you. Um, it's by a gentleman named Bart, uh, Bart Ehrman. Now, Bart Ehrman is an agnostic atheist, which means he, he doesn't believe in God and he doesn't Um, think there's a God that exists. Anyways, um, now uh, his quote is not relevant just because he's agnostic or atheist, Um, just because sometimes we can quote people and give them relevance for no real reason. But his quote is also relevant because he's a New Testament scholar and author, although he's also agnostic and an atheist. He writes this, he says, I think the evidence is just so overwhelming that Jesus existed that it's silly to talk about him not existing. I don't know anyone who is a responsible historian who is actually trained in the historical method or anybody who is a biblical scholar who does this for a living, who gives any credence at all to any of this. An agnostic, atheist, New Testament scholar, Bart Ehrman, is clarifying and presenting very clear evidence in his mind that the evidence that Jesus existed is is, is so immense that it's unfounded to believe otherwise. In a world that we live in today, isn't it interesting how the basic truths can be questioned? Isn't it odd that we would need to justify the basic truth of things? The basic truths of did Jesus even exist? Last week, we talked about, is Jesus God? But at this time, we would, ha- we would find that in the world, most of the time, we actually have to justify the existence of Jesus as a person at all. It's said um, in a recent study, and I know this isn't for us here in Canada, but it's a recent study from, um, that I referenced from The Guardian, a newspaper. It uh, says 40s, 40% of adults in England did not believe that Jesus was a real historical figure. 40% of English adults believe Jesus is not a historical figure, that Jesus is a fallacy of his existence at all, let alone his claim to being God, being divine, or any of his moral teaching, as we talked about last week. There's 40% of English adults that say Jesus did not historically exist. Yet here we have Bart Ehrman, his name's hard for me to say for some reason, an agnostic atheist who studied the New Testament. And although he has not come to faith in Jesus, what he has declared is that it is is, the evidence is so overwhelming for the historicity or the existence of Jesus. I just want to put that out there because, you know, we're going to go into some scripture or some, um, um, some verses, some quotes from the Bible. But for those of you who maybe don't agree with the Bible or don't believe in the Bible, let me tell you, it's not just the Bible who testifies of the, of, the, of the existence of who Jesus is. Let's just clarify that. It's not just churches that believe in Jesus. It's not just Christians that believe in Jesus. We're not proclaiming something that we are trying to trick you into. <laughs> In fact, that in very many ways is what I would like to talk to you about today. So Jesus came to this earth, the Bible tells us. He came in in various ways, uh, and he came um, and and started ministry at 30. So we talked last week a little bit about how C.S. Lewis would say that you can either declare Jesus was God, liar, or a lunatic. And Jesus at 30 comes onto the scene. He, he comes into the temple. He reads from the Jewish Bible and he reads a scripture or a, a statement from the Bible that is told to be about the coming Messiah. Now, Messiah means the one, the anointed one or the one who's coming to save. So maybe this is worth saying as well is Jesus Christ, which is what we often pair together. This is not Jesus's first name and Christ being his last name. Jesus was his first name. And Christ is a definition of the Messiah. So it's another, um, I believe Christ is, is Greek and Messiah is Hebrew, but so Christ is the reference to his authority or his title on earth. So Jesus in himself, by his name, didn't define something, but adding the term Christ, giving to him the place of Messiah, defined that for the Jewish people, Jesus Christ. It was Jesus came and at age 30, he stood in the Jewish, uh, uh, temple. He, he shared this verse out of the Hebrew Bible. And in that said that today, this prophecy is fulfilled. The prophecy of someone coming to redeem his people, the prophecy of someone coming to save his people. At 30 years old, the reason I think we can easily say or that we can, we can come to understanding of what C.S. Lewis said last week about Jesus being either God, liar, or lunatic, because it'd be as similar as me coming to the platform right now and me saying that I am God incarnate here to you. Now, I, I would hope you don't believe that, but this is the proposition that Jesus has made to the people in the, bo- in to, in the temple at that moment. He's made the proposition that in a monotheistic religion, the Jewish religion believed in one God, not like the Greek gods you learn about in school, uh, Zeus and all of those sort of things, but Jewish people believed in one God. He proclaims in that moment that he is the fulfillment of the prophecy. It's an absurd thing unless it's true. That's the thing about Jesus. He is absolutely absurd unless he's right. Now... We know the historicity of Jesus. We know that he existed on Earth. Whether you look at the Bible references or non-biblical references, we know that Jesus existed on Earth. And one thing that we know for clear um, definition as well is that Jesus died. I said last week that uh, life has a 100% mortality rate. <laughs> it's still true. <laughs> Actually, I was reading something about Jesus, um, sort of interestingly, uh, uh, the, this, this past week, I guess. Um, and it, it's, it reminded me that um, Jesus was the only person who chose to be born. The only person to ever exist that came by choice. Because it says that God came from his throne into earth and was born of a woman, but he chose to be born. And in many ways, Jesus is one of the only people who chose to die. It says in the recount of the crucifixion or the death of Jesus that he, he speaks and then he gives up his spirit. He submits his spirit, not his spirit gives up on him. The only man to choose to be born and choose to die. Now, we can we look at the historicity and say that Jesus um, existed, Jesus died. And now here comes, and I guess this is what I, what I hope to display to you or, or describe to you in, this, in part of this series of Hello, My Name is Jesus, is, is some things in the understanding of who Jesus is separate him from being just another person. You know, his claim to be God separates him. Now, his claim to die does not separate him as other <laughs> from other people. mortality rate. Jesus' death does not give him any significance to our world, his death. It is actually only in his resurrection that there is significance. Now, if his significance in our life, in the sense of being an other person or a unique character in history, now, if he was resurrected, that changes everything again. So... We look at these accounts, okay? So we've got the Gospels. We've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They were written by um, either first-hand account or second-hand account. So Matthew um, is, is suggested to be written by the tax collector, collector, Matthew, who was one of Jesus' disciples. Um, Mark is written by uh, the interpreter of Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. So he wrote it after Peter had died and penned out uh, an interpretation of what he had learned from Peter about the existence of God, or the existence of Jesus, sorry. Um, And then we've got uh, uh, Luke. Uh, Luke was a close... Companion of Paul, the Apostle Paul, and also a physician. So Luke, you'll read in his gospel, he talks about the fact that he that other people had already written gospels or written um, uh, histor- historical uh, information about who Jesus was, but Luke found that it was necessary for his voice still to be heard. Uh, and then you have the fourth, it was written by John, John the disciple of Jesus, the one beloved, uh, as you'll find humorous as you read throughout it. But we, we find these 12 disciples, okay? These 12 disciples of Jesus. And if they were to portray a story about a man who came and, and said he was going to be Messiah, said he was the savior uh, of the Jewish people, and they were to declare it for eternity, um, I, think, I think we can find some secrets or hints in their life that help us understand whether the resurrection was a hoax or whether resurrection must be real. Now, when we look at the story of Jesus dying, when Jesus is sent to be crucified, hung on a cross, before he gets to being hung on a cross, he's whipped, it says. It says he was whipped 40 times. Now, uh, the whips are not maybe what you envision today, you know, that you can get at the corner drugstore or wherever you're getting your whips these days. Um, But the whips (laughs) was something very unique to the Roman Empire pieces of leather with metal balls and chunks of glass tied into it that, that were not meant to just um, scrape skin, but to tear skin off, to expose bone, flesh, and sinew, it says, to expose the insides of a person. Before Jesus died in a cross or in a, in a, uh, a crucifixion, a death on a cross, he first received 40 lashings from a whip. Many people would die from that, as you can understand as you try to hopefully not visualize what that looked like. I know so often we don't think about that. We, we think about the great sacrifice of the crucifixion, but there was a lot just before that too. So he goes to uh, be crucified. And in those moments, as Jesus is being, um, uh, he's being tried, I guess would be the right term. We find Simon Peter. Simon Peter is one of his disciples And he is in a place where people can see and they can tell by the dialect that he speaks, by his accent, they can tell that he must have been from Galilee, that he must be a companion of Jesus. And if you know the story a little bit, you know that as multiple people address Simon Peter and ask him, are you one of his disciples? He denies Jesus. Three times, denies Jesus. And then of course, Jesus dies on the cross, and to these 12 disciples, what we have to recognize, and I think it's hard for us if you've read through the Bible and you come from a a perspective of believing in what the, the Bible says, it's hard for us to reconcile the reality of what these 12 disciples, sorry, 11 disciples, Judas was gone by this point, 11 disciples are going through after the resurrection. Because what they had believed and what had been taught to them for three years as Jesus from 30 till 33 spoke and taught and and ate with them and hung out with them and spent time with them and, and brought them up into the understanding of what the kingdom of God was going to be. They thought for certain that the Messiah had come and the Messiah, as far as they knew, was going to bring them freedom from oppression of governance. The Messiah was going to break the Jewish people free of the overbearing government that had ruled over them. So when Messiah dies on a cross, the future that they had seen, the vision they had had of what life was going to look like for them died with it. How do they reconcile a dead man with becoming a ruler over them to save them from other people? Now, we would think that, the, three, that the, the, the 11 disciples that have been with Jesus for three years know who God is, know who Jesus is more than anyone else. And I think, I think you can't argue that fact. Of course, if they've spent that much time with him, they understand him. Yet in the, resur- or, sorry, wait, yet in the crucifixion, they see despair, discouragement, and loss of hope. They don't sit at the end of, of his death on the cross and think, oh, we just gotta wait three days. They were crushed. They thought they must have they they must have ruined their last three years and served a liar and a fraud. I want to take you in Luke 24, 13 to 27. This is uh, just after um, Jesus has been resurrected, as the Bible says. I'm just going to pull it up and make sure I've got it in my Bible as well here. 24, 13 to 27, it says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So as well, they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So let me stop for a moment. You can keep that on the screen. This is after what we would talk about of um, Jesus dying on the cross, being buried in a rich man's tomb, Joseph's tomb. And in fact, it's after he has, uh, you know, in in Luke, he he says that he's risen. So Mary Magdalene has come to the tomb, and they've looked for uh, Jesus, and they've found or heard that Jesus is not there. Let me um, caveat this by saying if you look at the four Gospels, there is only one person, his name is Simon Peter, there's only one person uh, of the disciples who was convinced of Jesus' resurrection by the empty tomb. Simon Peter saw the empty tomb and believed Jesus must be alive. All other ten disciples were not convinced Jesus was alive because the tomb was empty. That was insufficient evidence to them. Anyways, we'll continue. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. This is Jesus walking with the two. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? This is the disciples after Jesus has died. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping, lost hope, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at tomb early astonished us, when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us, is uh, that the same verse again? And certain of those who were with us, astonished when they did not find his body, and certain of those who were with us, and it just sounds like the same verse, sorry guys. <laughs> And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in the scriptures the things concerning himself. The disciples were not convinced by an empty tomb. Yet they had spent so much time with Jesus. It is actually only after the disciples see Jesus re- resurrected that they believe that he's resurrected. I know that sounds so simple and so, so easy, but so often in a, in a hindsight view, we think the empty tomb is the declaration of our hope, but actually it was the resurrection that is the declaration of our hope. Now, Jesus came and they believed that Messiah was coming to save the Jewish people from governmental oppression. Now, Jesus came to do something that was greater than saving people from government oppression. He came, or saving a nation from government oppression. He came to save the world from future oppression. He came to save the world from the consequences of death. He came to save the world from the distance that they had from God. So small was our thought at that day and age, our human thought of what Jesus or Messiah came to do. Jesus, Messiah, came just to save an indigritable people. Yes, he came to the Jews first, but he also came to those beyond the Jews, the Jews and the Greeks, it says. Because in his resurrection, he saved not his people from government or human oppression, but saved them from a future without him. Sometimes we want Jesus to save us from a lot of things that he didn't come to save us from. Jesus came to save us from a future existence without him. Now, I believe in the blessing of God, but Jesus did not come to give me money. I believe in my marriage and my relationship with my wife, but Jesus did not come to give me a marriage. Jesus did not come to give me my children. Jesus did not come to give me my church. Jesus came to reconcile a relationship with me that otherwise was lost. I was thinking when we were worshiping um, uh, earlier, just you know, twenty minutes ago or whatever was in this service. and I was thinking about the fact that, like, it, when I'm in a room, I'm in a room with you know, under ten people here, and uh, and I'm singing. And uh, if you've ever been in a room with me during worship, you know you can hear me. <laughs> um, and and I was thinking about the fact that like. You know, some of us are like me and we sing loud and we sing proud. Some of us um, sing poorly and sing quietly and sing all these things. But did you know that the, the, um, the, the fragrance, if I could say it that way, the fragrance or the tune of your voice to God is as potent, relevant, and lovely as anyone else's? And that my voice singing worship to Jesus is is not, an, is not in itself suf, sufficient to him in the sense that he's, he loves it, he loves my voice, but he doesn't love it at the expense of also loving your voice. There's no voice of worship that keeps him from wanting to still hear your voice of worship. There's no voice of prayer that keeps him from still wanting to hear your voice of prayer. He longs for personal relationship, not just with humanity, but you individually. Now, Jesus came and and the disciples did not believe in his resurrection based on the empty tomb. They believed on his resurrection by the personal experience that they had with him. Thomas is, is, uh, uh, we call him Doubting Thomas because of this verse, really. It's in John 20, verse 24 to 29. It says, now Thomas, called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other 10 disciples had seen Jesus. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, having spent... Three years with these guys learning about Jesus, going through all this information. They didn't, he didn't believe the empty tomb. He didn't believe his closest friend's account, who had believed the same things as him, who were going through the same despair as him. It was insufficient to him. Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, I feel like Jesus should have showed up at that moment. <laughs> like, he says, I don't believe. And then Jesus waits eight days. How cruel. Anyways, and after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your fingers here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to them, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There's two points I want to quickly make on that. First, first thing is this. He says, peace to you. This is Jesus. I have a hard time finding in any reading that I do, um, whether it be uh, you know, Christian reading or non-Christian reading or, or TED Talks I watch or movies I watch or whatever, any of those you know, things I consume as you do, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, Hulu, or I don't even know what all they are. NHL, Eli, my son, that's all he consumes. Um, I have a hard time finding any source for peace except for Jesus. Just think about that for a moment. In Isaiah 9 verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, we talk about this when Jesus is born. For unto us a child is born. We talk about it at Christmas, I guess is what I mean. And unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. The source of peace is exclusive to Jesus. Wherever you are at, whatever is going on, and if you need peace, you will not find it outside of Jesus. Maybe I I pulled on this a little bit last week, but let me pull on it. And and it's not for a, a sign of the times. That's not what I'm trying to say. But, you know, peace won't come from getting the vaccine. Just like peace won't come from not getting the vaccine. Peace won't come from staying in your house and not exiting it. Just like peace won't come by having a party. Peace won't come from wearing a mask or avoiding wearing a mask. Because all of those things are trying to find a savior in a place that cannot save you. Because peace is sourced from a sole single entity and his name is Jesus. The Prince of Peace exclusively is Jesus. When you do not have peace because of turmoil, do you remember the story of Jesus on the boat? He's sleeping peacefully in the storm and the disciples think they're all gonna die but they come to the source of peace. He rebukes the storm and says, there's peace. I just want to remind you in whatever's going on in your world, declare Jesus over it. Find Jesus in this situation because once the disciples found Jesus in the boat, they found peace in their circumstances. While you're looking for someone else in your boat, you won't find peace in your circumstances. Turn away from the other things you're looking for. Finances, a house, a, a new job, another child, or, you know, reconciliation, reconciliation, that, whatever it is. Peace only comes from a single source, and his name is Jesus. Now, that's the first thing I just wanted to say on a side out of that sentence. And the second thing... Um, I want to say out of that is Thomas didn't believe until he experienced this with Jesus. The 11 disciples didn't believe because they experienced it until they experienced Jesus. It wasn't the empty tomb that was sufficient to them. Now, history would tell us outside of, uh, it's not recorded in the Bible, not exclusively, a couple are, but outside of the Bible, history would tell us that the 11 disciples of Jesus of those 11 remaining disciples one was added but of those 11 remaining disciples 10 of them died as martyrs for the faith martyrs means that they were killed because of their declaration that Jesus died and rose again so history tells us that 11 disciples who believed that the movement that they had been a part of was over when they found out that Jesus had died had an experience where they, they identify or proclaim that they met with the resurrected Jesus, seemed to have transformed their life. Simon Peter is found in the upper room after the Holy Spirit comes and He preaches and many are saved. This is the same man that when he found out Jesus was getting crucified, denied him. But 11, or sorry, 10 of those 11 disciples died on the premise that they would not, they would not they would not proclaim that Jesus had not risen from the dead as Messiah. Had they said he was not Messiah, had they said he hadn't hadn't, uh, uh, resurrected from the grave, had they said that, they wouldn't have died a martyr's death. Simon Peter was crucified upside down. Because he didn't feel worthy enough to die in the way that Jesus did. Andrew was crucified. James was killed by a sword. John is the only one who died of a natural death. I guess it was all the cuddling. Philip was crucified. Bartholomew was crucified. Thomas killed by spear. Matthew killed by sword. John, son of Elpheus, was crucified. Thaddeus killed by arrows. And Simon crucified. in the same way that I said this last week, when I, when I finished my message and I asked you this question, who do you say Jesus is? Because as much as I can tell you or anyone else in the church body or in, in your family or in relationships that you have in a, in a school or anywhere, as anyone who can tell you who they believe Jesus is, it becomes a personal declaration and revelation you must have. So in the same way, I must ask this question. Although I, I see this idea that the, the disciples were not satisfied with Jesus's empty tomb to be a evidence of his resurrection. They thought that they had lost out on three years after they see that Jesus had died. We have Bart Ehrman, an agnostic atheist, New Testament scholar that says the the ability for us to discredit the existence and death of Jesus is impossible. And then we have this this document or we have this declaration that that we find out that 11, sorry, 10 of the 11, I keep mixing up these numbers, 10 of the 11 disciples of Jesus chose to die for their faith on a belief that Jesus lived again. Some people would say it's a hoax that they hid his body. In fact, that's what we we read of in the book of John that the governors tried to say is to, they paid the the guards to tell them that the body was hidden. I I don't know about you, but I'm not dying for a hoax. I'm just not. (laughs) I like life too much. So this question leads to you. Jesus died, or he died, but do you believe he rose again? In this season of life when we can investigate a lot of things, why not investigate something like this? Jesus died, but did he live again? Because, in the same way that if Jesus was God, that changes everything. Jesus dying makes him human. Jesus coming back to life makes him supernatural. Think on that this week. I'm going to turn it back to Nathan.